And a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. What does it mean to believe that God is love? And what does it mean for the Church of Jesus Christ to live this love? Extravagant love is costly. It was won at the great price of Christ's sacrifice. It has a value beyond words. And my guest, John Armstrong, has written an outstanding book called Costly Love, The Way to True Unity for All the Followers of Jesus. John has joined me on the air a few times uh, in the past. He is president and founder of Acts 3 Network. Uh, He was a pastor for 20 years. He's been speaking, consulting, and mentoring uh, in diverse contexts and in different Christian denominations. He's edited, he's written 13 books, including Your Church is Too Small, Why Unity in Christ's Mission is Vital to the Future of the Church. But his most recent book, Costly Love, The Way to True Unity for All the Followers of Jesus, is, I think by his own admission, the uh, right now the pinnacle uh, of his work. John, good to have you with me. Thanks. Oh, it's good to be with you. Thank you. Uh, you, you know, this is, you, I have to ask the question, you, you pastor for 20 years, you know how to communicate, you're, you're a speaker, you're a writer, uh, you're a theologian, you, you choose love, which is arguably the most written about topic in the field of uh, Christian literature, uh, and you don't, I mean, you would think that's, for somebody like yourself, that'd be a fairly easy task. I mean, you've preached on it for so many years. But this took you years to write. Why? Well, that, that is a, that's a wonderful question. It took me, from the time I decided to pursue this book and had an outline in my head, which was a very simple outline— uh, to show that because God is love, uh, therefore the Shema, we're to love God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, and the second commandment like like it is to love our neighbors ourselves. And then, of course, our Lord Jesus said, the new commandment I give you is to love one another as I have loved you. And then I would add to that, and I think almost all scholars, Jewish and Christian, agree that regardless of how we interpret those first three commandments— the commandment to love our enemies stretched beyond even the most generous readings of the law and the covenant in the mm-hmm. Old Testament. Mm-hmm. It took us to the depths. So putting those things in my mind, Al, I said, well, there's, there's, there are the four points, the four great costly loves. You know, love God, love our neighbor, uh, love one another as Christians, and even love our enemies. Mm-hmm. And so I decided to explore them under the rubric of this is the call of all Christian living. Mm-hmm. When, he, when all is said and done, you know, contemplation and devotion, uh, Eucharistic devotion, um, all our church efforts and activities all are to lead us into God, to God, and thus to the love of God, the God who is love, and then to show that love. So it sounds like it's it's pretty simple. Well, here's what happened. Uh, <laughs> two things. One is, it is simple, as I've just outlined it. I think any just any Christian who hears those words would say, yes, yes, yes. There's nothing he said that's controversial in the least. But the problem is, one, there's been so much written on it, and I don't want to sound uh, arrogant or self-serving, but a great deal that's been written on it is just not very good, Uh, especially at the level of what popular 
uh, reading there is for ordinary Christians. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's reductionistic. It's simplistic. It it cuts corners. It doesn't deal with the robustness and the depth of what it means to think and to grow into the love of God and live the love of God. So I ran into this huge mountain, you know, all the way back to the Church Fathers and through St. Augustine and Aquinas, and then I went to the Eastern Church and Chrysostom, and mm-hmm. and I began to read the, the Fathers and the Mystics, and Teresa of Avila, and Ther- Therese of Lisieux, and great Catholic uh, female theologians, doctors of the Church. Yeah. Um, and then we get to the Reformation, and I read Luther and Calvin, and mm-hmm. And uh, then I came to John Wesley, and I had always had a bias against John Wesley, and I <laughs> fell in love with John Wesley. And and uh, so there was this mountain of material, and I, being sort of encyclopedic by nature, wanting to understand a subject, I just got buried in the mountain. <laughs> but then uh, my problem was, how do I come out from the mountain and write something that it still keeps my target, which was an accessible, not simplistic, but non-academic Yeah but mm-hmm. a seriously accessible, readable book if a Christian wants to think deeply about love and what it means to live love. So that was the challenge. And then I'd say finally, after I got off the mountain and I got into the place where I write and I got into my writing zone and I started working, I'd look at the stuff I'd written now and I'd just, I mean, literally a couple of times I threw it against the wall. Yeah. Not the computer, but the paper. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I just said, this is no good. This doesn't work. And I remember when I read Peter Kreef's book on love, I just said, he's already said it, why should I bother? Um, <laughs> the God Who Loves You, which is a magnificent book, one of my top five. And uh, so, you know, there was all of that going on. Yeah. And then the more I worked, the more I thought, I can't let this one, the subject wouldn't let go of me, finally, Al, it just wouldn't let go of me. Mm-hmm. And so then I started hiring real, really good editors and graphic designers, and and just throwing everything at it, saying, this is my life's work. And then I had major heart surgery, Mm. and that was a sobering reality, because I wasn't going to finish the book. Yeah. And so after it was over, I came back, and I just had this renewed sense, you've got to finish this book. This is is what I've made you for, what you've lived for, and what you're going to live the rest of your life, living and saying to to everyone who will listen. Uh, So finish the book. And it, it literally, this week, it's being shipped out from New City Press, which... For uh, listeners who don't yeah, know, New this City is great. Press is a Catholic publisher, right? Focolare. Uh, so it's, here's a, here's, yeah, yeah. Here's a here's a Catholic publisher with a cardinal of the Catholic Church writing the forward who's a personal <laughs> friend, and I'm a Protestant. Yeah, <laughs> no, it's, it is amazing. Of course, this has been. I mean, you. This is a. This is God's call on your life, though. Is to is to be right at the forefront of uh, striving to uh, restore unity among Christians, and uh, you've paid a price for that over the years, too. Yeah, yeah, but at the price is, you know, when you look back now, especially at 68 years of age, you say, oh, it was worth every bit of yeah. it. 13 years, you know, of what I call the desert, where the largest, some of the largest, if not largest, evangelical churches in America uninvited me yeah. as a speaker. Yeah. And I watched the money drain away and amazing. condemn me, because I had too many Catholic friends, and yeah. I was talking to all the wrong people, and I loved the Pope, and I, 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 I uh, you know, that was just held in suspicion. But I've lived long enough to see that that's starting to, to become less of a factor. Great. Um, I just got off a call this morning with two Catholics and one Protestant, and they produced uh, the daily message of Pope Francis now in three languages that you can subscribe to. 
<laughs> and uh, we just were so together and so one. And I want to promote the daily message of Pope Francis to my audience. Yeah. And they want my vision to be seen by their audience. And I'm just finding that happening almost weekly, Al. It's you share that spirit, and so do others. And yeah. I believe that's the Holy Spirit. Yeah. Well, I do. I think the uh, the hunger. I mean, we we we've, you and I have talked about this before. Uh, I, I remember uh, talking with an evangelical uh, mission strategist in Southeast Asia about 20 years ago now, and I asked him, what, what, is, the, what is the greatest um, impediment to successful evangelization in, in Southeast Asia? And without a moment's thought, he said, disunity among us. And John Paul yeah. II said the same thing, of course, in uh, Unum Sint. Disunity among Christians discredits our gospel claim to the in the eyes of the world, yes. and so this is yes. this is essential that we take this task. Uh, it can't be just the, you know, an appendix to what we do. It has to be at the center of our life and, and our mission. Mm. And uh, you, yeah. why did you, why did the, how did that how did you become aware of that? When did you become aware of that? Because I remember years ago. I mean, you were you were uh, you were considered a part of a, a reformed wing within evangelical Protestantism that was actually very resistant to uh, the Catholic yeah. faith. Yes, I was, and uh, that's that's accurate. Um, I was a part, without getting into all the names and nomenclatures of the past. Sure. But I was a part 25 years ago of an intentional uh, ministry that seven leaders formed. Uh, and one of our targets, as it were, for what we were trying to do is to counteract the Evangelicals and Catholics Together movement. Right. I remember that. Um, yeah. And I wrote, for a couple of years, I wrote articles against Colson and Newhouse and the whole Evangelicals and Catholics enterprise. Yeah. I now see it as a great turning point. I think they sowed the seed that I'm now being able to to reap some of the harvest of my yeah. own work. Um, so what what changed was, uh, quite frankly, a profound and deeply mystical encounters with God. Wow. Um, and, the and the love of God. This is not a theory for me. This is not just a doctrine. This was a life experience. And uh, what was changing while I was in the room with my brothers who were, you know, going down this road together— was it, I'm sitting in the room and saying, no, 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 this is not right. This is not what Jesus wants. This this just, to me, seems entirely wrong to make a ministry based on opposition to other Christians. Yeah. I just don't get it. So I was deeply uncomfortable. Uh, I was on the team, I wore the uniform, and I wrote things I'm ashamed of. Mm -hmm. But in the midst of it, I was deeply uncomfortable until God began to encounter me. Uh, Al, even in dreams and with words that people brought to me, wow. uh, that Catholics brought to me, that Protestants brought to me, that said, "John, uh, you can do better than this. This is this is not what God's called you to do." <laughs> and uh, praise God, I He used that to get to me. And and as I say in this book, I knew this as a young man uh, in my eighteen, nineteen, twenty, twenty-one years of age. I knew what's in this book as a young Christian. But I lost it by yeah. getting involved in the wounds of controversy and, and anti-Catholicism and all kinds of yeah. other stuff that, that yeah. just messed with me for about 15 years. Yeah. Isn't that amazing? I, you, you can, we can fall away from that, that initial awareness of the love of God. The Holy Spirit yeah. is, in, is shed abroad in our hearts early on in our 
conversion. And then we do <laughs> I have I've had the same experience. You get involved with doing uh, you know uh, argue on behalf of the faith, you try to make clear distinctions between this group and that group. And before you know it, you've lost the very uh, yeah. foundation, the, the love that you originally drew you to Jesus. John, hold it there. We'll come back. My guest, John Armstrong, has written just an incredible book called Costly Love, The Way to True Unity for All the Followers of Jesus, uh, forward by Cardinal Joseph Tobin. Uh, It's, again, published by uh, uh, New City Press, which is the publishing arm of uh, Focolare. Uh, This is the the movement founded by uh, Chiara Lubitsch. More coming up. And a good afternoon to you. I'm Al Cresta. With me, John Armstrong, the author most recently of Costly Love, The Way to True Unity for All the Followers of Jesus. Um, John has seen this as really uh, the he's, he, he himself is a living epistle. And this, uh, this book is kind of the summation of his mission uh, in life. Uh, there's a pastor of a large evangelical church uh, in the West that says of your book, John, Arm- John Armstrong has given us a great book that has the potential to transform churches and leaders. What is he getting at there? Well, knowing this, this what I consider a very effective lead pastor of a whole network of what we would call evangelical megachurches out mm-hmm. in the West, as you said, I think what he means is is we need we need a renewal in the church, and he's he's speaking of his own context that that uh, very humbly saying we're we're doing a lot that's good, but we've missed the greatest thing. Yeah. Um, and the greatest Paul says is love. Um, and I think uh, someone asked me the other day, do you you know have, have you been in churches where you just say the love dynamic was so powerful that it just was magnetic? And my answer is no. Mm. Um, I've been around Christians and Christian groups where I've experienced that, but generally speaking, not congregations that you would say would be noted for the fact of the overwhelming presence of the love of God in the congregation. Uh, And therefore, I think in in that sense, we need to ask, as as I think this pastor is asking, what's happened to the churches of the West? Um, Have we been so overcome by consumerism and all kinds of other isms that we've lost the centrality of love? Yeah. Yeah. And uh, we talk about love a lot. Some of our most famous mega evangelists, TV preachers and stuff, talk a lot about love. But that's part of what drove me to write again was that my unhappiness, not my opposition, but my unhappiness with the shallowness and the the way in which they express this kind of love, it was something uh, substantively less than the great vision of the Christian church. Yeah. Well, I mean, you know and you write about love uh because you're right, love alone gives real purpose to every other attribute of God's holy nature because love determines the selfless actions of God and explains everything he does, including his justice and judgment. So when you talk about love, it's not just uh, can we all just get along. You're talking about something which proceeds from the very nature of God, which is primary to who he is. Yes, yes. Yes, it is. And and for all of our Catholic listeners, um, I mean, this is what the Catechism of the Church teaches. Yeah. 
Um, this is what the, especially all the recent popes have said in encyclicals and documents yep. uh, teaching the faithful. Um, this is this is a Catholic message, uh, but it's also uh, fundamentally a message for Protestants um, who have tended to become, uh, in their anti-Catholicism, very polemical, very, yeah. very philosophical, very theologically formed in ways that are narrow and oppositional even to each other, which is why maybe Catholics don't understand why you have dozens of different kinds of Presbyterians and dozens of yeah. different kinds of Baptists. Right, right. Uh, because the very inherent nature of their division just creates more division. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, and uh, you know, I think the thing that appeals to me, Al, in, in, in your life story is that you had a sojourn of being growing up a Catholic and then having a sojourn of your spiritual journey yeah. inside of an evangelical yeah. church. Yeah, definitely. To return to your to, to return to your birth church, and and this is one of the things that offends some of my Protestant listeners because your story is a story I tell all the time to say yeah. to people, this is what lots of you should do. The, the, the worst thing you can do is to leave the Catholic Church or leave a Protestant church and become anti wherever you right. used to be. Right. I mean that is just, that's a terrible thing because you take all your baggage and your your hurt and your pain and all of that and you throw it against the other people, not recognizing that you're actually harming the body of Christ in the process. That's not what brings us together. No, no, it's not. Uh, you this there's so much there's so much uh, in this book, uh, and we're I, I want to make sure I have you back so we can. I'd like to do a whole afternoon on this, but let me let me ask you. Um, Let's talk about sacrifice, because, again, love is often talked about as something which, of course, uh, is a benefit. Um, you, oh, we all want to be loved. So we're told to, well, then make sure you love. If you want to be loved, be a loving person. True. That's all true. But love requires immense sacrifice. You write about mm. this in the book. You've lived it yourself. Um, let's go into that a little bit, because the sacrificial dimension of the experience of love is is the is the way is the only way that we can connect our it seems to me our experience of love with Jesus. Yes, yeah, and this is this is uh, this is was a strength of Kiara Lubick, who's who's the founder of the Focolari yes. movement that we referred to earlier. Mm-hmm. This was at the heart of her understanding of divine love, which is rooted in, and this is why she was so profoundly important to me, in the same text of John's Gospel that the Holy Spirit used in my life, John uh, 13, 34, and 35, a new, new commandment, and John 17, 21, his prayer that we would be one as he and the Father are one. Um, those were the verses, the life-changing, transformative verses that God used in forming the Focolari. <laughs> and uh, yeah. Uh, she understood uh, that she used this term, Al, uh, Jesus forsaken. And, of course, I think most Catholics can understand that even more quickly than a lot of Protestants. Um, And she's referring to the sufferings and dying of Jesus as the moment of his forsakenness. And in the darkness and mystery of this forsakenness, this is when love costs the most. Yeah. Uh, it, it 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 cost him everything, and the mystery of that forsakenness, and the mystery of Christ crucified. Uh, we have all these theories that we've come up with um, to try to explain the atonement, 
and I think overall, every one of them has a contribution, but on the whole, none of them actually does the job of of uh, getting to the depths of the mystery. Mm-hmm. But at the core of this mystery is is the love that will go as far as love must go to gain what love wants to gain, which is the affection and and obedience and following of the other. And so Jesus is forsaken by the Father so that the Father, Son, and Spirit might bring us into the body of Jesus, into this mystical body. Yeah. Yeah. Um, You hear the expression, falling in love with God. Mm. Uh, Yeah. Do you know that experience? Yes, I do. Um, And I wouldn't use it in the way, you know, the world speaks of, you know, I just met the girl of my dreams and fell in love. Um, Though there is some of that. I mean, certainly if you read the Song of Solomon, the way the Christian Church has read it historically, both Mm -hmm. Catholic and Protestant, we've read it as not just simply a love poem of sexuality, but as a love poem between Christ and his people. Yes. Um, So there is an affectionate, even erotic desire in a love for God that that uh, the mystics have known. That's why I again rely so much on the mis- mystics in the book. Yes, uh, and uh, even the greatest theologians, uh, Saint Augustine, knew something of it in his whole concept of desire. Mm-hmm. Uh, Aquinas mm-hmm. knew something of it at the end of his life. Spoke of it r- rather eloquently as something he didn't even begin to understand. Yes. By the way, when you read things like it as a writer, you say, "What in the heck am I doing?" I know. <laughs> <laughs> you feel like. The ocean just buried you more, uh, and you you feel like the theologian who says the best we can do. I think it was Calvin who said the best we can do is lisp out the glory of God. But yeah. uh, we're just like a baby, you know. I've got two one-year-old twin boys that are grandsons, and I, I, you know, it's like they're just starting to form little expressions. That's about the best I can do as a theologian. Yeah, but it's it's uh, this is the first thing. This is the basic thing. This is what it's all about, and uh, we we again. We seem to want something else, and this is the only thing that satisfies. So, yes, how I have fallen in love with God, especially in the last 20 years, and in the last, I, I can tell you that when I faced uh, quintuple bypass surgery in February last yeah. year, uh, and I wasn't done with the book, but I had lived this journey, and I, I had lost friends and lost supporters and gone through all this ordeal, it seemed as nothing in the face of the possibility of dying and being with Christ. And what's what really was amazing to me was this sense of, of not I've lived a great life or I've been such a wonderful Christian, but a sense of satisfaction yes. that I have actually learned to love God, and there's more of Him to love that I'll yet experience if I leave this life. But if I have a future in this life, it's got to go deeper and deeper into learning to love God. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's not just a concept. It's it's I actually have fallen in love with God. But if you fall in love with someone, you you continue to go deeper and deeper in that love. If it's a relationship, right? And because you I want to love God. as God loves. Yes, yeah. I want to love as God loves. Yeah. yeah, and and I find it ironic that especially my evangelical friends uh, think that you know you 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 come into a personal relationship with Jesus, as they would put it. But then it's like, well, now it's all over. That's it. There's yeah. no more entering into personal relationship with Jesus than right. to sustain the one you got when you were converted. Yeah. yeah, And that's just so inadequate, because the whole point, which they don't get, I think, sadly, of of the Eucharist and of fellowship and of the Word and of daily devotion and all of it, is to love God yeah. and to be loved by God. Yeah. 
Yeah. Yeah, and this is this this is uh this is what is meant to draw the world uh to Christ that uh uh to love one another as I have loved you. I mean, he that is the mark that he wants us to exhibit uh in a, in in a sense uh extend his presence into the world that so people in a sense when they see i mean he said to the, uh if those who have seen me have seen the father in in a similar way those who see the church are supposed to see jesus and love is that feature that is supposed to yes. be identified that's jesus yes. and it, and, yes. and we're very far from yes. that you've been listening to a conversation with al and our friend john armstrong on the importance of love as a path to true Christian unity. We'll be right back.